0: Right. Good morning everyone. It is great to be here with you as we got to worship and to sing about the truths of God's word and we're excited to talk about that today. And my name's Eric Wakeling up here with Matt Davis and we were so excited to come talk to you today that, that we matched. Uh I don't know if you know we actually match Ron too. Yeah. I don't know how this all happened yeah, this morning, but so it's definitely spirit-led. It's not intentional. So yeah, yeah I think it's, it's meant to be. <laughs> anyway, we're, we're looking forward to, to sharing with you today. Pastor Dave is not here uh, today. He, he's gone right now, but it's like finally we can talk about the inerrancy of Scripture now that he's gone. And so it's good. We've been waiting. <laughs> We've been waiting.
1: In fact, uh, what he's doing right
0: now is he's on a, a road
1: trip with uh, one of our elders Dave Herring. And uh, what's great about Pastor Dave is he's finally connecting and engaging with technology. Yes. And uh, he is learning the art of the selfie. If you are on Instagram, you can follow Pastor Dave. Yes. You can see this, But um, we mm. just did a couple of screenshots just to capture the essence of what Dave does and, and his trips. And so you can see uh, on his way up, he was up at Elephant Seal Vista Point. And uh, I, I love some of his comments. He says, too cold, road to Big Sur, and they closed the road, had to go all the way back. But he, he was in the middle there. You could see he was taking the ferry to Victoria. He was feeling a little seasick. So we have some of that going on. He took a picture of a Canadian biker. Um, so Dave is real real fun. Here's some of it. He finally made it to Lake Louise up in Banff, Canada. and uh, it's far. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they made it. It said what? Uh, so, uh, he said in the middle there, you can maybe see It, it says, selfie head block. Um, so just the commentary, I love it. But made it finally to Lake Louise after 2,100 miles. So he's on his way back, and uh, we'll see him eventually. That's right. Uh,
0: <laughs> it's classic. So definitely a good follower, a reason to get Instagram is to follow David Mitchell. But <laughs> uh, So we're talking about today, the Bible is trustworthy. And as we begin this, you know, we think about the things, maybe there's some things in our life that we've placed our trust in that we shouldn't have, right? And uh, for Matt, is there— got a story of something you've placed here. Just a few years ago we went out to Kitali, Kenya. We were meeting with one of our missionaries
1: and we uh, foolishly put our trust in one of our guides there. We wanted to take a really epic like time-lapse shot and we're standing at the top of this abandoned building and uh, a villager from next door came over and uh, had a machete with him and we trusted our guides in that moment to safely navigate this situation and uh, Ryan Rail and I found ourselves running out and getting into a minivan while this man with the machete was chasing us away.
0: Yeah, that's not so good. Mine went a little younger, back to my senior year in high school, when I maybe had just a bit less discernment than I do now. And uh, that was when the -hmm. volleyball season was coming up, and I had not yet done my physical exam at the doctor's office, so I trusted my friend's idea that we should just sign it ourselves. And uh, so I did that. But uh, we definitely got caught, and that resulted in a couple Saturdays at Saturday school and a couple missed games. So that was a mistake. I I could go a little bit younger
1: than that. Uh, My brother
0: and I, when we were younger, I was maybe seven years old, we
1: had bunk beds. And he challenged me early one Saturday morning, if he put five pillows on the ground and I jumped off the top of the bunk bed head first, that the five pillows would actually support me and catch me, I'd be fine. And I was literally paralyzed for about 30 seconds.
0: (laughs) Wow. Not a good thing. That's trouble. Okay. I'm going to get even more real here. This is a little risky since this is sort of the same job I still have, but definitely not. When I was about 21, I was a very young junior high pastor at another church. This is over 20 years ago, but I trusted something called the buddy system. Now, the buddy system was on our way home from Mammoth with a bunch of students, and I trusted the buddy system to ensure that we had all the students. Well, we didn't. There was a junior high girl left in Bishop, California. We eventually found her, but I almost lost my job, and that's why I'm here at Calvary. No, just not really. (laughs) So, anyway, uh, yeah, there's, there's things that we place our trust in that we shouldn't. There's also things that we place our trust in every day that we don't even think about. Our car. We get in our car, we drive it, we place our trust in it, will work, or that the mechanic that fixed the brakes, we trust their skill. We trust the airplane as we get in that airplane, and we don't get to see the pilot's resume. We don't get to see the sleep patterns of the pilot over the last week. We just have to trust, and we get in, and we go. We don't, you know, we trust the chef as we order that food, and we hope that, you know, it's sanitary, and they're following all those health guidelines in the back. We trust some of these things, and, you know, maybe sometimes that's, you know, we're having to release, we're having to rest in in that. We even trust, which I think is sometimes crazy, right, when you think about a book, but we read a historical fiction book that maybe took place in the old Wild West or something, and then we think as we've read this fictional book, and we're like, oh, did you know that they did this and this and this back in that time? And we trust it as history, even in a historical fiction book at times. And so we place our trust in things all the time. And here's where I want to get into this for us today. As we consider that the Bible is trustworthy, this is a, such a crucial, important topic for us as the church, and for us as Calvary Church to understand. We sit here every week, and we go through this book, and we say, we're going to teach through this book, and we're going to learn from it what are the answers to the greatest, most grand questions of all time, of who is God, and what is God, and who am I, and how do I relate to this God, and what are these questions of eternity, and how should I live this life that I've been given? And we say that we place our trust in this book for the answers to those huge questions. But do we actually trust it, and do we know why? And I, I, just, I want us to have a sense that we do trust it. It's so important for us. And as our culture shifts away from the truth of God's word, we want to shift closer and closer to the truth that this is the very word of God, and we can trust in it. And I want to ask you today to consider where you're at with that. What is your level of trust in the Bible? And we're probably coming to this morning in a, in a few different, uh, pers- with a few different perspectives. One could be that I don't trust the Bible. And if you haven't yet, I encourage you, grab your notes and the outline... Uh, today is a day that we're going to need notes. We're going to need more than notes. That's why you'll see a whole table of resources. But uh, we, we are going to barely scratch the surface of this today. We said we're going to show the surface today almost, you know. This is a huge topic. We have mul- multiple seminary classes that could be taught uh, from, from some of our points today. But where do you come from this? Maybe you say, I don't trust the Bible. You know, I don't believe it. I'm, I'm a skeptic. You know, I've heard that there's errors, contradictions. I don't, I don't believe in this. Or I trust the Bible— But I don't know why. So maybe you've placed this sort of trust. Maybe it's a a bit of a blind trust of just, okay, well, it's the Bible, right? I'm supposed to believe it, but you have no idea why. Maybe you're here and you trust the Bible and you do give it authority in your life. But also you could trust the Bible and not give it authority in your life. Okay, I, I believe this is the Word of God, but you know what? I just, I don't really want to live it right now. We have people probably in this room that are coming at all of these different perspectives, and, and you're, you know, I want you to be able to hear a couple different things even. A sense of, if you do trust in the Bible, you're hearing an assurance and a conviction that we are a church and we will continue to be a church that believes and preaches from the Word of God. And we believe it to be trustworthy and authoritative. And maybe, though, you need to be convinced. And we hope that we can, can, can get you on this journey of being one that can trust in this as the word of God. So, as we talk about this, we would just say, first of all, we trust the revelation of God because it is inspired, inerrant, and infallible. Okay, these three words. And these are three common sort of theological terms, but they also come from our doctrinal statement. I want you to see our Calvary Church statement of faith. And this is the first point in that statement of faith. And it says this We believe. The 66 books of the Bible, consisting of all the books of the Old and New Testaments, are the written word of God. They are a supernatural revelation from God himself. These books are inspired, inerrant, and infallible, without error of any kind, in every word and concept. They are the final authority on all matters they address, and all truth necessary for our salvation and spiritual life. Okay? So that's our, our point of doctrine, our statement of faith, that that is what we believe as a church about the Bible. And it lists some references to support that. We're going to go through some of these, and, and I really encourage you to dig into some of these additional scriptures yourself. So first off, we look at this word, inspired. Okay? And this comes from 2 Timothy three sixteen primarily. This is this crux passage. This is a huge passage when we talk about inspiration of Scripture. It says, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Now, this word uh, that we see here, inspired by God, in the Greek, the literal, more literal translation would even say God-breathed, okay? These words are breathed by God, that these words have been given by the Holy Spirit of God, to human authors, these human authors then write them down, uh, and then they are given to us, okay? So that's that inspiration of Scripture at its most simplest point, that these words are given by God, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, and we'll talk about that more. But but even here, first off, okay, what are the Scriptures? Sometimes with this you have to keep taking steps back or, or bigger and to look at that. So we've got the Scriptures, this thing called the Canon of the Old and New Testaments, we don't have time even to get into this whole, how, this whole process of the canon process, how we came to the scriptures that we have now. Again, we have some resources here for you to check out. Uh, but one of the key things, and just a couple key things we'll get into, is that with the New Testament, uh, the thing is that special, um, <clears throat> special inclusion was basically given to those writings by eyewitnesses, of the risen Jesus, okay? Actual eyewitnesses of Christ himself, people that were with him. Those writings were uniquely authoritative, okay, as they went through this process. Another one that's interesting, just another key point here, is that the New Testament and Jesus himself often quote from the Old Testament, okay, and speak of it as authority, right? Speaking of it as scripture, And so you think about even Jesus himself. Jesus opened a Torah scroll and he read from that scroll and he taught from it, and that was a copy of the Torah. It was not the original autograph, okay? The original one that was written down the very first time by that original author, right? Jesus read from a copy. He didn't give disclaimers. He didn't say, well, this is just a copy, you know, and it might be kind of messed up. Jesus taught from a copy of the Torah. Now, then you've got uh, where also the New Testament speaks of itself as Scripture. Because sometimes a skeptic might say, okay, well, all Scripture is God-breathed, but that's Paul talking in the New Testament. He must be talking about the Old Testament, right? But no, because what we have here is Peter speaks of Paul's writings. Uh, this isn't on the screen, but I just want to read it to you. Uh, it's 2 Peter three fifteen, And he says, Also our beloved Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, And I love this part. It says, "...in which are some things hard to understand." (laughs) So Peter's with us, okay? Sometimes the Bible's hard to understand. And it says, "...but also which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures to their own destruction." And so he speaks of Paul's writings as part of, you know, that's Paul's writings and the rest of the scriptures. Okay, so you've got Peter talking about Paul's writings as scripture. Okay, so you've got what are scripture, and we want to just have a sense of that. And then and we're recognizing that all scripture is inspired. And then we see a couple other just quick verses. In the book of Revelation 1, it says, Jesus sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John. That's in Revelation 1, 1 through 3. So you've got this sense of inspiration of God in there. And then even uh, Paul speaking in Galatians 1, 11, where he says, I didn't get this from, from a man. I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. All right, so you have this sense where we're speaking about the Scriptures as being inspired by God. And if they are then inspired by God, and that God breathed them out, we would then say, sort of philosophically then, that they are inerrant. Because God is perfect, God is true, God does not lie. Therefore, as God speaks and inspires through the Holy Spirit... What was given to those human authors then is inerrant, and we would say in their original autographs, which are that moment where the Holy Spirit spoke to that person, and they took ink to papyrus or whatever, right? And they're putting that down on parchment. And that is where we begin to have what we would call inerrant, without error, and are true. Okay, so I know this is, like, I know this is a bit... Uh, of seminary, you know, and a little less sermon today, but it's, I think it's so important for us to understand this. It's crucial for us to believe in these things as foundationally true, otherwise what's the point of reading this book and giving it authority in our lives? Uh, and so we look at then this, this doctrine of inerrancy, and now the word inerrant is not in the Bible anywhere. But neither is the word trinity, but these are doctrinal points that are taught through the breadth of Scripture. So we see this from the character of God as displayed, as God being true and perfect. We see this even through other parts of Scripture. Psalm 119, 160 says, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. So all all of your word added up, that is truth john seventeen seventeen says, "Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth, and then even proverbs thirty five a every word of God is tested, and it has stood that test. every word of God is tested so this inerrancy without error, it is true, and we can also look at at support from archaeology now i 'm just going to like again barely touch on this, but we know that we've more than 25,000 different archaeological discoveries have been made over the course of this broad region of all these biblical lands, kind of from from Rome all the way over to the, the Sinai desert, right? And you've got, like, all of these amazing discoveries. And all of them have supported the truth of Scripture. None have gone against it. And, and, like, these are—it's just incredible. We want there to be more because we know that every single time there comes another one, it's just another, uh, you know, proof that's stacked on top of how the Bible is true. And there's a, a ton of support, actually, from what we, we call extra-biblical non-Christian sources. Okay, sources and writings from near the time of Christ— that are from not not from the Bible and even not from Christians. Okay, some are Josephus, Tacitus, Pliny, others. Uh, some of that's written down in your notes in there. We've got more of that again over at our resource table, but you know we could just we could just dump on you stats, but it would get really boring and really long. Uh, so we're going to continue through this. Okay, so we have these this this inerrancy is supported by so many different things, and then a question. Uh, oops, sorry, I might become then. Okay, so what about these things that seem like errors or, or these things that are contradictions in the Scripture? And we're going to talk about uh, some of this even more, but you, when we get into talking about uh, manuscript copies and things like that. But, but some of that is that the thing is that someone could say to you, and they'd be right if they said, there are thousands of errors found in the manuscripts, okay? Because there's thousands of manuscripts, and they do thousands of them have errors like this for example which is these are the kind of errors that are in like the 99th percentile of the errors that are that are found okay that the greek word for john would have two ends but these ma- thousands of manuscripts have one end okay does that change the meaning or, of scripture or its impact in our life no it's clearly a, it was a copy error that is not uh, affecting the meaning there is something, there's a contradiction. Someone could point this out to you, and I'm pointing these out because what I don't want to have happen to you is I don't want someone to come up to you and say, hey, did you know that in Second Chronicles 9.25, it says Solomon had 4,000 horse stalls for his chariots? And did you know then that in First Kings 4.26, that it says he had 40,000 horse stalls for his chariots? How come it says 4,000 here and 40,000 here? Your Bible is wrong. Your faith is worthless. You might as well abandon Christ. You know, that's like, you know, that's what happens. And you're like, no, 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 hold on. And so they've looked into this, and they've studied it, and that more likely it was 4,000 was the correct number, and you have somebody that added a zero, and that got continued into the manuscripts. But again, that does not affect the meaning of Scripture or its impact in our lives. And we're going to talk again through this, but I also don't want you to take inerrancy and place inerrancy of our actual Bibles that we hold in our hands, our our English translations, I don't want you to hold these above a doctrine like the deity of Christ, okay? Or something like that. And sometimes we place our faith in something like the inerrancy of the New American Standard Bible, and someone could pull that out from under you, and you crumble. And so I want you to be careful about that. We have to be smart about these things, okay? And we also have to recognize what we place our trust in, and recognize, yes, that, that all translation involves some interpretation. Okay? All translation involves some interpretation. doesn't matter what style. If you have the most literal style of translation, it still will involve some interpretation. And we have to recognize that. Okay? Don't build your faith... Upon the translators of Scripture. Build your faith, the the foundational blocks of your faith, on Christ himself. Okay? So I want to just point some of those things out. There's more that we can help to show you. But we also believe that the Scriptures are infallible. Inspired and infallible. Infallibility is that uh, a couple of verses that talk about this. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. The scriptures will last forever. The word of God stands the test of time. It is as true today as it was two, 3,000 years ago. And heaven and earth will pass away, these are the words of Christ, but my words will not pass away. We trust the revelation of God because it is inspired, inerrant, and infallible. All right.
1: Thank you, Eric. Yeah. Um, I, I want to just point out a couple of things that have always interested me. And as we look at this, um, we're just going to look. Can we, as you read your word, can you look at this and can you actually walk away this morning and think to yourself, there are some things that I can actually hold on to. There are some things that I've probably overlooked and, and maybe we can just delve into this. And you can walk away today and say, wow, I, I need to dig deeper. All right. So we trust the written word of God because it is reliable It's dependable, and it is authentic. I'm I'm just going to give you three evidences this morning, and I want to just walk through some of this. Uh, First one is archaeological and sociological. There are, throughout your scriptures, repeated, confirmed, minute, and seemingly irrelevant details that are found in the Bible. That If you just kind of read it, you might just glaze over some of it, and, and you might think... I, I didn't even see that. And so I just want to give you a couple of these examples. And, and the first one is found in Joshua chapter 10. And Joshua chapter 10, he's kind of on this war path and he's going through. And, and he gets here to the city of Hazor. And, and in Hazor, you would look at this and you'd probably say Hazor, but it's Hazor. It's a huge, huge biblical site. You could spend days there. Um, but this is what... It takes place scripturally. It says, Then Joshua turned back at that time and captured Hatsor and struck the king with his sword. For Hatsor formerly was the head of all of these kingdoms. They struck every person who was in it with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them. There was no one left who breathed. And then it says, And he burned Hatsor with fire. I remember going there the first time I went there and this is pointed out we read this and then our, our guide points out and he says hey take a look at this and in between a lot of the stones and you go to Israel and it's a lot of rocks but even the stones cry out you see this ash layer and you walk through and you see it all throughout and I remember going that year and that was the one thing for me that stood out was wow The Bible says that this place was set on fire by Joshua, and this is evidence right here. Here's another thing. From John chapter 5, verse 2. It says, Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. I I probably didn't even know what a portico was (laughs) ten years ago. Uh, I had to look it up even recently. Portico is a a covered porch. Um, Throughout history, people have read this, um, having five porticos, and and they've never found anything archaeologically significant. And they thought, well, maybe John is is referring to the five books of the Torah, the law. And so really, this is probably just mythology. Well, fast forward, and for us backwards, go backwards to like 1890s, and they actually discover the pools of Bethesda. And this is a model in, in Israel of, of what they have found and what they've seen and they've reconstructed it. And so you see these two pools and you see we got the four sides and then we have one portico or a porch, it's basically columns with, with a roof over it. And this is the pool of Bethesda, the pools of Bethesda. I look at that and like, okay, well, I would have probably skipped over those words in the Bible. And now you look at something like that and it's like, wow, it just kind of pops out. It seems irrelevant. Why would the authors put this in there? And then they do. And then something else, um, And J.P. Moreland uh, talks about this and says this is, for him, is just a crucial, crucial piece. But um, this is from Luke chapter 7, verses 11 to 17. And I just want you to see this real quick. In Luke 7... It's talking about the woman who, uh, she was already a widow, so she lost her, her husband, and her son dies. And it says this, Soon afterwards, he went to a city, this is Jesus, called Nain. Nain is in the Galilee region. And his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. Now as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out. The only son of his mother, she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. Jesus goes up and he sees the widow... And he has compassion. He tells you, do not cry. And then he goes back to the processional that's following behind her and he touches the coffin which uh, Jewish law you would never touch anything that has anything dead because now you are ceremonially unclean and, and he says get up and and the, the boy wakes up and he is now alive but the minute detail if you look at the author of Luke and Acts they are all, always um, the author is is very focused with Jerusalem and Judea if you even look at the resurrection account the appearances of Jesus after he is risen um, there's nothing happening in Galilee you can look at John he's talking about Galilee all over the place but in Luke there's nothing Um, he's very concerned but in this detail when he's talking about Nain which is in Galilee how funeral processions went back then was that you would have there would be the the procession in front and the body in back and so even just minute details like this that seem irrelevant are are captured here. Let me show you another thing. The transmission of the word as seen in, in the Lot's Torah scroll, or just Torah scrolls in general. Now, um, this morning, you have probably noticed, if you haven't, then we're going to help you out in this moment. This is a Torah scroll in front of you. <clears throat> Um, We've uh, borrowed this from our good friend Josh McDowell. Um, We were um, anticipating getting a different scroll, actually called the Lotz Torah Scroll, from Lotz, Poland. And... um and when you're Josh McDowell and you have lots of Torahs, sometimes you just send the wrong one. Um, so this is a different one. This is a much newer one, but we're still going to use this, and uh, you'll have a chance today afterwards to actually interact with it. But I, I want us to just get this, the, the the love and the care and the time and the investment that is put in the transmission of the written Word of God, because you're all sitting there with your Bibles here this morning, different translations. If you didn't bring one, you have one sitting in there in front of you, and they're just printing out, right? We just have this printing press, and you can, you can go on to your, your iPad or your iPhone. Some of you are there, and you can find any translation that you want. But for millennia, the process of transcribing the Word of God was laborsome. There was a lot to it. Um, I, I just want you to see this, this passage. In Psalm 119, if, if your affection for the Word of God is, is just lacking, look at, at the heart behind the psalmist. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. The scroll that we were wanting to have this morning is the Lodz Torah scroll. Um, I, uh, this is kind of fun. Uh, the guy on the left is uh, my great-great-grandfather. His name was Shalom Kantorovich. Uh, he was chief rabbi in a place called Grodnow, Russia. Um, the picture on the right, unfortunately, is me as a 13-year-old getting bar mitzvahed. I, I made it black and white, but you can definitely see the resemblance, right? It's it's stunning if if only I had a beard then Um, I didn't shave this morning so that you can kind of see but um, (laughs) let's move on um, but the scroll one thing that's amazing about Joshua McDowell he did this we did a conference here just last year Heroic Truth he brought this loads Torah scroll and he rolls it out just like you see on the slide in front of you and, and he gets to show you and you get to walk through and we have some magnifying glasses but I just want to highlight a couple of this through modern technology we have an iPad here we're going to get this up and you can actually, if you have an iPhone or iPad or an Android, it has to be a smartphone. No dumb phone can do this. Um, but he actually has scanned in the, the scroll, and you can see it in high definition. And so this is, this is what it looks like. And I'll tell you, it's phenomenal the resource that it is, You can actually zoom in, and, and you can see. Um, this is Genesis 1-1. That first word is Bereshit. And you can look, Genesis 1-1 down here is way over here on the top right. Hebrew is written from right to left, and it goes top to bottom. And you can see even on this, um, what's great is as he has gone through this, he's highlighted. So you see these red circles, these highlights, and you can click on something, and it'll say that there's a patch, there was a repair. This scroll in particular was from a very poor community. And so rather than like sometimes when a Torah scroll, the ink gets faded or it starts to get into disrepair, they'll store it in a special place, and they will have a, a new one written. But you can see right here, this is the Word of God. And you can go through, and you can actually, like, I, I know that you can't read this, but it's just kind of a fascinating thing to look at. And as you go through, you can see certain things. Um, there are, you have line breaks. And so this is kind of like what we have when we have paragraphs in, in our Bible. You can kind of see there's just a new thought there. Um, You can also see, uh, towards the end of some of the lines, we have extended letters. Um, You'll see that it looks very much like a column. Uh, If you get close, when you get close, um, there are little hole marks, pin marks in there, and they've actually made straight lines. There's a grid, not only going left to right, right to left, um, but up and down. And so it's very linear, and you can see that these columns are, are there. And then you have a break like this, right in the middle. And this is the break between Genesis and Exodus, um, we have kind of added numbers to all of this, so it's easier for us to find. But you can go through, and on this app you can find things like, uh, this is Exodus, this is Exodus 15 right here in the middle with this red box, and this is what we call the Song of the Sea, after the Israelites walk through. And they kind of stretch it out. This is important. This is a song. There's something that you need to pay attention as you go through here. You can go a little bit further. And down here, this is the Ten Commandments, and you can look at all of this. So I just want you to know that all of this is here, and it's available um, as a resource for you to just check out if you want to download the app. But even if you just look at at what's down here—I'm going to jump down real Um, quick—you'll see some of this stuff. So this is the beginning. This is Genesis 1-1, and what you see rolled out here, this is almost 30 feet of, of Torah scroll. And it goes out and this is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy. If we were to roll it all the way out, it definitely hit the wall. It goes most Torah scrolls are around seventy feet. Um and and when we ask you to come, I don't know if you've seen signs, we were a little bit paranoid about the signs. Um so just don't touch. Don't like take your coffee and like just set it down on the Torah. <laughs> Um, don't take your purses or your man bags and put it down while you're looking a little bit closer. Um, but this is a yod, um, and this is a pointer. This is how uh, the the rabbi would go through, and he would actually read and kind of point and kind of keep track of where he is at in here. But the the, the process in doing this, there's there's a quill, and they're writing, and and they have these things. These are gallnuts taken from a tree, and there's a a whole process in in making the ink. And, and putting all of this together, but you write this one word at a time. Get your outline out for a second. Look at your outline real quick. And I want you just to see, the, right? Get a pen and your outline. And just that top point where it says, we trust the written word of God because it is reliable, dependable, and authentic. Right above that, would you just copy those words? Write those words for me real quick. Grab a pen, pencil, whatever you got. I know you don't have Quills. But just write those words above those words in your outline. We trust the written word of God because it is reliable, dependable, and authentic. How many of you, before you wrote the word God, you paused? You stopped. You prayed, you went and you washed your hands How many of you stopped before you wrote the word of God You put that pencil down And you brought out like your really fancy like cross pen And you you wrote it with that How many of you when you wrote the letters down Did any of the letters touch any of the other letters? Go through this Torah scroll You will not see these letters touch 304,805 letters in the Torah alone And they are copying it letter by letter. And they are transmitting it. They know that in Leviticus 11.33, the center word for the Torah should be there. It would take one to three years for a scribe to write out the Torah. And after it was done, it would take another year by trained rabbis that would come through and roll out all 70 feet of the Torah before they they were able to certify it. The Word of God is important. And because we don't have it here like this, we have it in this book that you can go to our bookstore or just about anywhere else or any seedy hotel. Thank God for the Gideons. The Word of God is there. But we need to treasure it. The last thing. The Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, Charles Feinberg says this is the greatest archaeological find of all time. It's, it's fascinating to see what is there. Um, if, you, if you've ever played the telephone game, you know that transmission um, changes, right, over the course of the game. Get ten people around and just say one phrase and, and it will change by the end. What's super important for us and our faith is that we know the Word of God that we hold in our hands today is the same Word of God that Jesus read from that has been consistent all throughout history and for. Millennia the oldest texts that we had to compare to what we have today were from about 1000 AD. And then in 1947, there's a Bedouin shepherd boy, and he's along the Dead Sea area, the area we call now Qumran, and one of his sheep gets away, and so he goes off to chase it. He sees this little hole, and it's a cave, and he was able to fit himself in there. Um, He actually tried to get the, the sheep to get out. He threw a rock, and he heard something break, and there were these vessels in there, and he finds the Dead Sea Scrolls. One of the greatest archaeological finds of all time. Dating back to 2nd century B.C. The entire scroll of Isaiah is there. You can see it if you go to Israel. Come to Israel with us in February. Um, 24 feet long, the scroll of Isaiah. If you look at Isaiah 53, which talks about Jesus to come. Prophetic, messianic prophecy. um, That... Even in in Psalm fifty three, one or not Psalm fifty three, Isaiah fifty three, one hundred and sixty six words, only three letters are in question, and it doesn't change the meaning of the passage whatsoever. Uh, these little Bedouin shepherd guys, um, they they took the some of the the parchments that they had found, put it in a bag and hung it from from their tent for a couple of months. Uh, it wasn't until about eight years later uh, an archaeologist bought them for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. In 1954, and in 2009, APU, just up the freeway from us, um, purchased some parts of antiquities from the Dead Sea Scrolls for two and a half million dollars. I want us to get the point and to understand. That as you look at the scriptures today, that it is reliable. They can go back and you can see. But I just wonder for us if our word, if the scripture that we have in our hands today, if we treat it like this Bedouin shepherd where it's just kind of hanging up in a bookshelf and it has the value of $100 when really God wants us to have it because he sees it as Priceless. Closing for me, I just want you to know that the people, the Jewish people today, they would take a scroll like this, and every week there's a little section that they would read. And when they finally get through this, over the course of a year, you've read through the entire Torah. And at the very end of the time, we get all the way to Deuteronomy. And we finish Deuteronomy, and then the scroll is rolled all the way back up. Normally, the scrolls you'd actually have kind of two. Um, two ends, two rolls, and they roll all the way back to the beginning. You finish Deuteronomy, and you go all the way back to Genesis 1, 1 through 5, because the idea is that we are never supposed to stop reading the Word of God. They take the Torah, they roll it up, and they march it around the synagogue, and people are joyously dancing at the Word of God. We do not worship the Word of God. We worship the One who gave us the Word, and that is our Creator, and that is why we look at this.
0: so the question then here is again where are you at with this we want you to respond to this we want you to consider where you are if you don't trust the bible or you trust the bible you don't know why or you do trust it but maybe you don't give it authority and so we have some next steps and these are are in your outlines here and encourage you to get this out and look at it and the first of these would be that and i'm going to come down if you don't trust the bible okay If you don't trust the Bible or you trust it and you don't know why, we want you to investigate it. Okay? Investigate. Dig in. We've got a bunch of little pamphlets. If you don't want to read a whole book, these are great. These little pamphlets are available. You can buy these in the bookstore on proofs of the Bible or why trust the Bible. You can just come up and look at them today. This thing that says "No touching is not for this table. We want you to touch it okay come and look it 's okay, touch and feel and then we 've got chapters of bigger books that are that are on this very uh, topic, and then entire books on how we got the Bible or the origins of the Bible and things like that. We want you to dig in, so please come up. I think that the scroll is amazing and interesting. But that's actually going to help you, okay? So go over to that table also, please, and and dig into that and investigate it. Uh, we'd love for you as well, if you go to calvarylife.org slash bible, Uh, That's an easy link to our Right Now Media page. So if you don't know what Right Now Media is this website that you can look at for free that we provide here from Calvary, that you can watch these different videos. Some are for small groups, uh, some are for different purposes. But these are little classes, basically, on the reliability of Scripture. And so if you want to know more about that, watch that. Investigate it. Dig into it. Uh, And then I would say if you trust it and you give it authority— Read it. Let's read the Bible. Dig in. As Matt said, let's, let's start and never stop. This is a book that, that we want to just, just consume so much of because it is the very word of God. We think, wow, I wish I could hear God's out loud voice today. I wish I could hear him speak from the heavens. And we have hundreds and hundreds of pages of God's out loud voice to you right here in your hands. So listen to God's voice. As you read this book that you can trust, uh, get into it. And then I'd say, if you trust it, but you aren't believing it, you're not living it, I would say, give it authority in your life. Allow this book to answer those huge questions of our existence and the universe and eternity, but also allow it to answer those questions of how we should live. What is our life, uh, what's the purpose of our life supposed to be? And so I encourage you to give it authority. And even next week, that's what it's going to be all about. Next week is all about the authority of Scripture and the kind of way that, that the Scriptures speak into our lives and, and the authority that it should have in our lives. So I want to encourage you in that to, to not just let this morning go by without responding to it. To either investigate it, read it, or give it authority in your life if you haven't. All right, so let's, let's pray as we continue to worship, uh, and then uh, at the end of the service, we'll have a chance to, to look at these things. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for speaking to us. Lord, thank you for the many ways you speak to us, but especially your scriptures. Lord, I thank you that we can trust in them, that they have stood the test of time, they've stood the test of skeptics, and they've stood the test of our investigation, God. And I pray, Lord, that we would dig in. Lord, that we would respond and we would allow this incredible book to guide our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.